So, we are back with another episode of the Saxo Market Call. And per usual, we're going to talk about macro. It's Monday, and we're going to look ahead. And we're going to talk about the Fed. We're going to talk about Bank of Japan and Bank of England. It's a big week for central banks. So there's a lot to uh, lot to chew on here. And um, Sharo, you're with me from Asia. Um, very distant call here, and um, but it's great to have you on uh, on the podcast. And we're going to start with the the Fed, the FMC rate decision, which is on on Wednesday. The market has gone back and forth. Was it a hard landing? Was it going to have a soft landing? And I would say, judged by the recent repricing in U.S. government bond yields, it seems like the market has prepared itself, or at least priced it's priced itself for a soft landing. The question is. Have we ever gotten yep. any soft landings? And uh, if not, what, what do you think is what do you think is a sort of uh, in the heads of the um, the central bankers in the uh, in the Fed that's going to make this decision? Because there's a lot of moving parts. Absolutely, hi Peter. Good to be back with you. And certainly, a lot of moving parts. There's this, uh, of course, this U.S. growth story, which continues to kind of run quite strong. But right now. Uh, you know, what's happening in the Middle East. I think that's also going to be um, taking some space in the in that, uh, you know, the heads of the Fed members right now. I mean, markets are taking some comfort in the fact that Israel's attacks have been slightly more calibrated, slightly more measured. And as a result, so the markets are also um, uh, pricing in that war premium in a very measured way. Uh, so the big worry really going into this week is how much of that war premium makes it through into um, that Fed decision, really. Um, so I think, yeah, like you said, you know, a lot of moving parts. We've been getting strong data. Last week was all again about uh, U.S. exceptionalism. We tr- saw a strong uh, Q3 GDP number from the U.S., um, but again, you know, again, something that we've discussed over and over again, um, despite the fact that consumer has stayed, stayed strong in the U.S. until the third quarter. Now, even if you look at the uh, the spending data that came out on Friday, we saw spending up 0.7% month on month, but incomes were up only about 0.3% month on month. So it's pretty clear the consumer is dipping into the savings um, quite aggressively there. Um, so uh, I think... Uh, that is going to also kind of play a big role if you look at the forward-looking indicators. That is going to play a big role in this decision that is going to come from the Fed this week. You know, the weakening consumer here, um, also the run higher in long-end yields, like you said. Many members have hinted that lately that that could work to substitute for a rate hike. Um, and we're in the middle of these uh, fresh geopolitical uh, risks as well. So hiking rates in the middle of a war does not seem to be the right thing to do for the Fed. Uh, but again, they still have to consider whether there's going to be inflation worries coming back because of uh, what is going on in the Middle East. So far, those inflation worries have not really escalated. Even if we just look at oil prices, the trends have been pretty mixed. So not much of a reason to believe that inflation can materially shoot up from here. Uh, so in our view, the Fed is really done here, not just for this meeting, but for the cycle and the next move will likely be a rate cut. Um, but we do not get an uh, updated dot plot this time. So uh, the Fed thinking of the timing of the first rate cut will likely only come from that uh, post FOMC press conference and the comments that we get there. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's very fascinating. I, I think the path from here is going to be quite dramatic, actually, for the uh, for the Fed. I, I have this idea that, you know, 
we begin to see these cracks and potential response or something breaks in the financial system and it spooks the Fed to cut rates, as you say, and we probably peaked here. But then at the same time, you yeah. know, China is really in a position to get the economy going um, and that they will actually begin stimulating and become this, unleash this unknown factor that they suddenly begin to become a growth impulse into the global economy. And then if the Fed cuts the interest rates while China is doing that, then suddenly maybe inflation risk could come back haunting yeah. the US and then then we have really the ugly scenario. That's really the thing that I, that's really the, the danger here if I was an FMC voting member. Yeah, the stagflation risks that we've been talking about, I think um, and those are still very, very real. I mean, even if you look at China, we get the PMI numbers again tomorrow and the focus will be really on how much of a recovery we can see there. You know, does the momentum continue? And if, if it continues to build, we've seen since August that numbers are starting to look a little bit better for China. Uh, so if it continues to, um, you know, come out of that long drawn slowdown period that we've already seen there, um, I, I do agree with you. I think uh, the the impulse that the global economy that can get, can get from um, there is going to be uh, massive and again considering you know supply chains are still still uh, pretty um, you know in a difficult situation there with two wars the world has to still see I think uh, it's it's all going to be quite a complicated um, path to navigate from here. Yeah, exactly, and then you have all these wage negotiations. I think the W A the U A W in the the auto. Uh, labor union there is getting very close to finalize a deal with uh, with GM and and Ford and um, and Powell has highlighted that that could have an impact as well on uh, on inflation um, medium term. So, but uh, let's shift gear a little bit and and uh, move across the Pacific to Japan because you know it it to me it's very clear the Bank of Japan has been taking the position that long run inflationary uh, dynamics in in Japan are very low so that's why we and everything is going to be temporary so we will come down to low levels of inflation that has really been their bet but and keeping that yield curve control but it just seems like that position is really getting to a, a breaking point now because the the, the Japanese yen is really ex, uh, absorbing everything uh, um, right now and i think it's getting to a point where it could really become ugly on the on an inflation side because Japan imports a lot of important things from energy and, and raw material for their economy, which if you have a weakening currency, yeah. it, 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 you know, it makes the inflation problem uh, worse. So what's your thinking, Sharo, going into this uh, very important decision, which is basically tonight or early morning, depending on how you look at it? Yeah, I mean, I think a big decision is obviously a lot of expectation uh, that the BOJ could do something. But still, if you look at consensus forecasts, if you look at the market pricing, you know, nobody really expects the Bank of Japan to do something as quickly as this week. Um, so, I mean, you know, I think it it's a Halloween day meeting. You know, it's certainly the big question is whether you get a trick or a treat again. <laughs> uh, you know, it, the financial markets have really been testing the patience of the Bank of Japan, the yen. Uh, like you said, yes, we saw fresh lows last week um, and there was, I would say, a lack of serious intervention threat. We probably did see some intervention, but I, I wouldn't call it a serious intervention at all. And if you also look at the the yields of the Japanese government bonds, we are now very close to that 1% ceiling that the Bank of Japan has. So in many different ways, actually, the markets are testing the patience of the Bank of Japan. And inflation, you said, um, yeah, I mean, they've been talking about the, the this inflation is transitory, but how many years can you call it transitory? 
Secretary, I think the big thing to watch at this meeting is also the quarterly outlook that they give out for growth and inflation. And if that um, inflation forecast for fiscal year 2024 is revised higher, which it is expected to be given the run rate we've seen so far, if it is expected, uh, if it is uh, revised higher to above 2%, again, this will be the third year of inflation being above the 2% target. So can we still continue to call it transitory? Uh, I think uh, that's, uh, that th- there are certainly some risks that we could get some action from the BOJ this week. Uh, I think markets may potentially be underpricing that risk. Uh, many banks are actually calling for the 10-year yield target ceiling to be raised to 1.5%. But uh, I would say that, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, this is a very short-term fix. So I, I would be skeptical that, you know, Bank of Japan, Japan could do this again. They've done this in July when they raised the ceiling from 0.5% to 1%. And it's been a costly move. If they do it again, that will invite some further selling of Japanese government bonds as well. Um, so I think uh, uh, I think the best bet for the Bank of Japan really is to continue to give these hints of uh, policy normalization, whether that comes through in the form of some language tweaks in the statement or that revision higher in uh, inflation forecast, as I said, um, but it has to be, I think, um, you know, subtle, but yet an, uh, an effective way to guide towards normalization at this point. Yeah, I agree with you. If they if they tweak the um, the yield curve control, it's it's just it's a minor thing. The big shock would be if they if they completely move around or turn around, uh, I should say, on the on the on the policy rate and the way they set the short term interest rates. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm I'm going yeah. to I'm going to watch this with uh, with a lot of interest because I, I find it as a as a pretty big experiment. It's just when you look at the policy rate of Japan, it's so out of line with the with other central banks. So um, yeah, yeah. Let's see what happens. And um, yeah, and massive implications um, for Japanese yen as well. I think uh, going into yeah this meeting. Um, Again, we've already seen that 150 is not the line in the sand at all for them. So if we again get totally that dovish uh, message that we kind of have been getting for BOJ for that long, I, I would think that the risk of USDN to kind of go even higher to 152 or maybe 155, that door is now open because we did not really see a real intervention at 150. Uh, but of course, if we do get those um, hints of normalization, we could see the Japanese yen appreciating quite a bit. Um, I mean, despite that pull that is going to come from the U.S. dollar as well. We still have, you know, the U.S. dollar sustaining its strength, uh, you know, although potentially still limited uh, on the top side, but there's also quite a lot of support that is there. Uh, so I, I would think that uh, for USD yen to drop below 145 on any ends of normalization could still remain difficult because of where U.S. yields and the U.S. dollar are. Good points. Um, if you move to Europe, we have a, a key decision on Thursday from the Bank of England, and we've talked about that, you know, maybe of all the central banks, the Bank of Japan is probably in the in the worst possible uh, position. It's 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 um it's really tricky for the uh, for the uh, for the Bank of England to to navigate uh, this. And um, yeah, I I mean, it's it's all about the the economy and inflation. And um, well, how, how, what do you what do you expect from the Bank of England? And what do how, what's the trajectory you see for the UK economy here? I mean, um, these are, I would say, two very different questions, you know, I mean, to, um, for Bank of England this week, I don't think it's as tricky because uh, we got a hold in September and 
things haven't really changed much since then. Mm. Uh, we've discussed again at the, I think last week's podcast the two things that the Bank of England is watching is really services inflation and wage pressures, and both of them kind of um, you know came in below expectations uh, in the latest print. So um, you know, in a sense, we have the services inflation, which is tracking slightly below uh, the forecasts for from the Bank of England that we got in August, and wage growth is, is a little bit above, but still, I think the trend is down. Uh, and if you look at the vote split, uh, the uh, one of the members who voted for a rate hike at the last meeting has since been replaced. And the new member, it is expected that uh, she will vote along with the consensus. So, uh, I mean, that kind of builds a very strong case for another hold at uh, this for this week's meeting for the Bank of England. Um, but the other question, like you, you know, said about the UK economy, that's certainly far more complicated because, again, something we've raised before is that the stagflation risks are really the most stark for UK, even though we're talking about services inflation cooling. Uh, it was still at about 6.9% at the September print. Um, if you're talking about wages cooling, it was still at 8% plus kind of growth levels in the in the latest print. Uh, so uh, we're nowhere near where these numbers ideally should be. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, the setup for the UK economy is really complicated. But having said that, I think Bank of England uh, will likely just continue to watch uh, data for now, continue to kind of send that higher for longer message. But I think um, uh, at this point, they, they will have to hold rates again, considering what's also going on in the Middle East. Yeah, and then, and then there's the whole question about the British pound. So as you um, you have uh, said, I mean, there's a high correlation with, um, or you're written down here in the script, I mean, there's a high correlation with US equities and US equities have had a tough week, actually a tough month. It really seems like risk sentiment has come come off, not only because of the higher bond yields in the U.S., we have geopolitical landscape, the earnings season, uh, a, yeah. little bit, a little bit of a mixed bag. So as, as you indicate here, I mean, even mm. if you have a hawkish hold, what is the upside actually yeah. for the British pound here? Very limited, I would think, yeah. I mean, there is, uh, there is very limited chance that we could get something positive for the sterling. I mean, yeah, if the vote split, vote split really widens more, you know, in favor of a hold or the language is more dovish, I would say the risks are much more pr- pronounced on the downside for sterling. And even if you look at this, yeah, the the correlation to the U.S. equities, very high positive correlation recently with the U.S. equities. And given the setup that we are in, you know, in terms of um, where rates are and what that means for U.S. stocks, what, where the economy is, and again, what that means for U.S. equities, it does, you know, kind of uh, potentially bring more uh, downside pressures for sterling in the coming weeks. All right. Um, a lot of on, on central banks here, Sharo. But maybe, I mean, if we were to talk, or I was to get your ideas or your thinking on two macro numbers that are out this week. We have the Eurozone CPI, you know, uh, composite figure out tomorrow, and we have the non-farm payrolls on, on Friday. Maybe you, you can put a little bit of color on what to expect in those two macro reports, because, you know, they are going to be important for this week. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for um, Eurozone CPI, I think we just got a flavor of that from the German print uh, coming in weaker than expected today. Uh, so the base effects are kind of really having an impact there and it is expected to be um, weaker again. Uh, but as for the non-farm payrolls, I think uh, that's really up to anyone's guess right now. It's been so volatile. Um, uh, but I think, I mean, if you look at it from uh, the FX perspective, really, um, I, I, I think it's a number that can continue to provide 
support for the US dollar right now. Uh, you know, it's not just, I think, NFP, there's a lot of other second tier US data also, you know, uh, in focus this week. There's the employment cost index tomorrow. There's Joel's job openings, which has been causing a lot of, um, you know, market reaction lately because. Uh, the focus is really on how fast the job market is weakening. Um, uh, and I think the first number to track there is the Joel's uh, number. Uh, so that comes out on Wednesday and then we get the ISM uh, indices as well. So I think uh, overall, I mean, um, these the, 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 I mean, particularly for the NFP, I would say it will have to be um, a miss by a significant margin really to kind of shake the, the strength of the dollar at this point. All right. Good points, and I think that uh, takes us to the to the end of the uh, of today's uh, podcast. An interesting week ahead: central bank decisions from the Fed, from the Bank of Japan, Bank of England, and those inflation numbers from the eurozone tomorrow, and then the non-farm payroll on Friday. It's a it's a packed macro calendar, and then we have all the other other things, you know, earnings and the geopolitical risk in the Middle East. So uh, stay safe, uh, stay safe out there, and we'll be back. Um, again next week with another tax market call on pot, uh, on macro. Thank you for listening.